said, but I was going to learn one the hard way. I was like, because you're not going to learn if I tell you. So I told her, I was like, you know what, that's called ownership. Ownership is ownership of your body. All right. All right. Hey. Hey, everybody. How you doing? All right. Good. Hey, how about you stand up and we're just going to start singing. We're going to worship our Lord together. All to Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender all. To him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. And I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And all to Jesus I surrender, make me Savior, holy Thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit truly know that Thou art mine, and I surrender all, I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender, Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me because I surrender all. Oh, I 
surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Amen. Well, welcome to church tonight. Glad you, We're so glad you're here. Uh, we're going to sing uh, this next song. Uh, Pastor Owen texted me earlier and said, would you mind doing this song? This is actually my favorite hymn that's been written. Uh, it's called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I love this hymn because of the, the first line, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace because streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. That's why we worship tonight, because of the mercy and the grace that he has shown us time and time again. He never fails, never ceases to show us grace, and they're new every morning. Amen? So let's sing this together. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love And here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Cause Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God He to rescue me from danger Interposed His precious blood Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be So let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your streams of mercy that you never failed to send us, God. Thank you for all the grace that you've given us, even though we do not deserve it in any way. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we praise you tonight. Pray that you would speak to us through the proclamation of your word. Help us to see you tonight. Help us to hear from you. We love you. We praise you. Amen. You guys can grab a seat.
All right, Jordan, I know you got to hurry to your next spot, but uh, real quick, <laughs> let people know uh, what, you're, uh, what you're doing this year, your new game plan. So you've been, t- actually tell me what you did this summer. And okay, then... so I graduated in May from OBU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Uh, graduated with a degree in worship ministry, and this summer I worked with my home church with our youth ministry leading worship, uh, w- went to a mission trip to Nicaragua where our plane got delayed, so I was there for 14 days, supposed to be there for eight days. So that was fun. Uh, Did camps and VBS and just all sorts of great things this summer, working with teenagers and children. So it was a great summer, but... And home churches, Lenexa Bible. Lenexa Baptist Church in Kansas City. That's where I'm from. Um, Now I'm back, and I'm working at uh, here and Frontline Church in Oklahoma City and in Shawnee, uh, doing a uh, glorified internship, kind of uh, pastoral training, how to be a worship pastor. Uh, so it's going to be a great year. Yeah. It's going to be challenging, but I'm really grateful for Pastor Owen, for you guys, for letting me stay here and uh, work with you guys. Uh, you guys are really enabling me to be able to stay here for this year. So yeah. I'm very grateful. I'm glad to be part of it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys. Now you get to go to the youth. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of Wednesday nights, Jordan's going to bat a uh, doubleheader for us, come in here and then and also lead with our students, and the folks at Frontline are great encouragement to, to us on staff and to our church, and so we're really thankful for them. Some of you may uh, be familiar with Charlie Hall as a worship leader, and Charlie is there at Frontline. Do what? He's your boss. Charlie is <laughs> Jordan's boss. So uh, other than Jaron, Jaron's your other boss. So uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's a great opportunity to learn from Charlie and those guys at Frontline. They're a wonderful, uh, wonderful church doing great things. So we're, we're thankful for that. All right, just a couple of quick announcements so we'll all be on the same page and uh, know what's coming up. This Sunday, we have at 915 I know some Sunday school classes will probably still meet as, as usual in regular places, but we have combined Sunday school options because of the men's conference. So at 9.15 this Sunday morning in this room right here, the guys will be in here. Michael Staten will be doing essentially the first session for the men's conference will be during that Sunday school hour. And then the ladies will be across the hall in the fellowship center doing a preview of fall women's ministry opportunities and also just some time of encouragement in the Lord and building up one another. So that'll happen this Sunday morning. During the 1030 service, Michael is preaching. Michael is the pastor at First Baptist Mustang. Incredible preacher, incredible pastor. Some of you know Michael from his time 20 plus years ago here at Emmaus. But Michael is preaching at 1030. And also during that 1030 worship service, we are going to be honoring Jaron and Christine for 20 years of ministry, 20 years on staff at Emmaus. And we have one of the youth who I'm going to have to preview the video first, but they're supposed to be putting together a slideshow video uh, about Jaron. So I'm going to preview the video before we show it on, on Sunday morning. But they're putting together a slideshow. We have, we're going to say some things for them and encourage their family. I've said this a couple of times, and we won't belabor it, but if you want to give toward the love offering for Jaron and Christine's uh, 20th anniversary, you can do that during September. Just designate that in your giving or, or give additionally towards that, and we'll put that uh, toward their love offering anniversary gift and give that to them 
at the, uh, at the end of the month. So that's coming up this week. Want to make sure you're, uh, you're aware of that. Women's ministry Bible study starts tomorrow night for the ladies' fall Bible study. And then next Tuesday night is Keeper's Connection. Next Tuesday morning, ne- Keeper's was last night. Never mind, don't come next Tuesday night. I probably messed that up several times on emails. Sorry about that. Um, next Tuesday is Nest, though. So, yeah, sorry about that. Um, next Tuesday, Nest uh, begins at 10 a.m. And I'm trying to think of other things coming up, but that, I think that just about gets it. We'll talk about the revival here, here in a little bit. Opportunity to pray for one another, things going on in, in the church family, ways we can pray for one another. Do you guys have any, any updates that we need to be aware of? Pray for Jaren and Christine. They have a little foster baby at their house, uh, little TJs there at their house. And so be sure and, and pray for them, encourage them. It's just like Jaren and Christine that we're celebrating their 20th anniversary on staff, and it's up in the air whether they'll be here or not because they have a little baby at the, at the house caring for the little baby. So it's perfect for them. But uh, do, do pray for them during this time. From what I can tell, I think Nathan and Jeremiah like the little baby and are doing well. So I think that's going, that's going well. Anything else? All right. Well, Jordan prayed for us, but let's pray again uh, as a church family, and then we'll, we'll get into uh, what we're doing tonight. Father, we are thankful f- so much for the people that you place around us. God, thank you for, uh, for Jordan and the way that our church has been able to encourage him, the way that he's been able to serve in our youth ministry and his opportunity this year in ministry at Frontline. God, that you would be with their church. God, we thank you for Michael being here on Sunday for the men's conference. God, I pray that guys would be able to come, maybe who are feeling really uncertain about their faith or they just feel like they're in a spiritually dry place, that this conference on Sunday would be an encouragement and a challenge to us uh, what it looks like to live as men of God. God, thank you for First Baptist Mustang and, and for that church. God, we continue to pray for our friends at First Baptist Moore and the pastor search process. God, that you would guide their team, you would guide that church. God, thank you for the connections we have with them and for the great ministry happening there. God, we thank you for Jaron and Christine, what they mean to us. God, we pray for them as they're caring for this little baby. God, we pray for them in, in their marriage and the ministry that they have, not only with students, but with families here in Emmaus. God, thank you for what they mean to us and the inspiration they are and the encouragement they are to so many people. God, I pray for us as we move ahead with all the things in front of us this fall at Emmaus. God, help us to be careful about doing something just because it's on a, on a calendar or just because it's on a list. God, we want to do these things in a way that honors you. And more than anything, God, we pray for your presence and your power to be on this church. God, thank you for what it meant Sunday to be able to pray together as a church. And God, that you would continue to lead us forward. God, that we would see many people come to know you. 
As we talk about tonight, many people brought back to a point of being connected to to a relationship with you and connected to the church. God, let every one of us feel the weight of that in our own lives, God, that we would seek to live holy lives that are honoring to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you would, we are going to spend a little bit more time at the end of James. So James chapter 5, we moved very quickly through these two verses on Sunday morning as we were wrapping up our prayer service, and, and there's a lot going on here, and there's some confusion about these verses, and it seemed like a good follow-up to spend a little bit more time. So it's James chapter 5, the end of it is what you're, uh, what you're looking at. One of the things I want to point out as you're trying to go toward James chapter 5, sometimes when you're watching a movie or you're reading a book, you'll get to the end of something and think, wow, that was a weird ending. Like, everything did not prepare you for the way that something ends. This is probably not the greatest example. I'm trying to take an example illustration out of the uh, Jeff Hempel playbook and use a movie illustration instead of a sports illustration. So, uh, you remember the movie Signs? You guys remember that, the movie Signs? You got these like monsters that you don't see throughout the movie, and then all of a sudden you encounter the monsters at the end, and then out of nowhere you find out that the monsters are actually apparently allergic to water, <laughs> and any type of water will end up uh, end up killing uh, killing these monsters. And so you get to the end, and you think, I did not see that coming. That was not at all what I expected in in this movie. There's something about getting to the end of something, and the ending is just completely shocking. You you don't see it coming. There's a few places in the Bible that you get to the end of a book and it just ends in a way that you think, I did not see that coming at all. So the Gospel of Mark is probably the most famous one. You go over through the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Mark ends, and I think I have this written down there, Mark 16, 8. They went out and ran from the tomb because they were trembling, or because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them, and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Now, there's an expanded ending to Mark that's added later, but you get through this whole gospel, and it ends in a moment of fear. It ends in this moment of what's going to happen next. Now, the reason Mark's gospel ends that way is because it's Mark's way of saying, and what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to live in fear, or are you going to live in faith and tell other people about the resurrection? So there's a purpose to it, but it's a completely surprising ending. First John ends in a very strange way. You get it, and it just abruptly come, comes to an end. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, you had this whole book about assurance of salvation, and then it just says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. That's it. End of the book. Sometimes you feel like, did John just run out of space, uh, you know, on his, on his scroll? What? What's going on here that it ends in this way? But it's all driven toward this idea of what am I giving my life to? Where, who is my God? Where do I find my hope and my confidence? The gospel, or not the gospel, but the book of James is somewhat similar in, in this respect. It ends in a really strange way. So let's go to James chapter 5, verse 13, and go like this. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? 
let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now at this point you might think James would end with something, and you, you two go and pray, or something like that, but he doesn't. Verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And the book ends uh, at that point. Now the question is, why does the book of James end in that way? What's going on that James would end the book with this type of appeal to go after people who are wondering from the truth? What's, what's happening there? Well, first of all, there's actually a connection back to the beginning of, of this letter. So you go back to James chapter 1, and there's a couple of small connections that, that you see at the beginning. So James chapter 1, the, book, uh, the letter begins in this way. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So, so to people who are living separated from their homeland, living as exiles in the world, this is similar to First Peter idea. So to these 12 tribes, and then he says in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So you see that reference in chapter 1, verse 2 to brothers, and then you turn over to chapter 5, Verse 19, and you see again the reference, my brothers. So there's this call. Again, this is a, one of those usages of brothers, that's brothers and sisters, those who are in the Lord, disciples of Jesus. So he appeals to people at the beginning as brothers and sisters in Christ, and then he's going to appeal to them at the end. The reason this matters, the reason this is going to become important, is because if we're not careful, you read through James, and you come away, and you think, here are some ways that I should live better. And we can read the book of James in particular very individualistically. Like, I should be careful what I say. I should be careful how I spend my money. I should be careful how I treat others. And it, it's how I act. But the way that the book of James is put together, it's very much about how we act together. It, it's meant to draw us together as, as family. And so, yeah, it, it does matter what I do individually, but in a sense, it also matters what you do. And if you see me acting out of line, you don't want me to do that. So, so we're in this together. So the appeal in the book of James is don't see all these commands, all these practical living that, that James gives you throughout the book. Don't see this as just individual, what you would do. See it as what we should do together uh, as a family of God, what we're called to do, caring for one another. So there's that appeal there to the community, to, to the church, to the family of God. There's also there in verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So in James chapter 1, verse 2, you get trials and you get the testing of your faith. What happens when someone's faith is tested? What happens when someone is pressured about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? There's a temptation to say, this is not worth it. Forget it. The temptation comes, the trial comes, and you say, I'm going a different direction. James is writing to a group of people who are facing trials, who are facing difficulties, and he's concerned that they're going to check out and that they're going to go and live in another way. So how does he end the letter? You go back to chapter 5, verse 19. He says, if I didn't turn the page the wrong way, he says, my brothers, if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, 519, why would someone wander away from the truth? Well, possibly because they were facing great trials and great suffering, and they just said, this is not worth it. The other thing that James counters in the letter, and we're not going to look in detail at this, but just to be aware of how James works, the other thing that James is dealing with is a people who have grown apathetic about their faith. They've grown very casual about their faith. So what causes someone to wander away from the truth? Well, either you're facing trials that are so difficult, circumstances are so difficult that you say, forget it, I'm out of here, or you just become apathetic. You become casual about your faith, and you begin to wonder and drift off to the side. So James is dealing with those, those two realities. The other thing to keep in mind, and, and I feel like I've, we mentioned this a few times, but it's good to reinforce what type of writing James is. Throughout Scripture, there's different types of writing. James primarily, even though it's a letter, James is very similar to wisdom writing that you find throughout Scripture. And so what you'll find in James are multiple connections to the book of Proverbs, multiple connections to the book of Job, and multiple connections to the Sermon on the Mount. So when you're trying to tie the book of James into the rest of Scripture, you find James connected to Proverbs, Job, and Sermon on the Mount, all of which are wisdom-type writings. Wisdom writing just says, you're not God, he is, his way is better than your way, follow his way. That's pretty much how wisdom writing works. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, or actually it's usually flipped around in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I recognize he's God, I'm not. His way of living is going to go way better than my way of living. I should follow his way of living. And so you get this built into the book of Proverbs. The book of Job says this is how you live wisely when you're facing suffering. The Sermon on the Mount is reflected over and over again in, in the book of James. And so James is tied into this wisdom type of writing, which is why when you get to the end of chapter 5, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, you go off the path. Is what James is talking about. If you wander off the path, someone needs to be able to bring you back on the path. If you've ever gone hiking uh, with, with small children or people who are easily distracted, they're walking along the path, and before you know it, they've gone completely off the path. Um, and so you're constantly grabbing them and pulling them back on the path. Or if you have a little kid that struggles staying on the path, usually they jump on the rocks on the edge of the path or they travel up the hill, and so you're always trying to pull them back. 
This is the imagery. We're walking on this path that the Lord has given us and saying, go this way, and yet what do we do? We are prone to wonder. <laughs> we wander off the path, and we go chase this over here. We wander off the path, and we go chase this over here. Or, God forbid that the path might be uphill <laughs> or difficult at some times. And so what do we do when the path is uphill and difficult? We do what any little kid would do. We sit down and complain and scream and kick our feet and say, I'm not walking any further. This is too hard. I'm not going to go on this. And you need somebody to pick you up and dust you off and kick you in the rear and say, keep walking, like, like keep going. So this is this idea of wisdom imagery that's baked into the way that the book of James ends. The other thing, well, I think we just kind of listed there, the purpose for all of this is that we would t help people turn, turning and preserving people from error. People are going off the path. We're trying to bring them back on. So you, again, let's drill down on verse 19 just a minute here. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders, that phrase among you Seems small, but I, but I think it's important here because it shows up again in 1 Peter chapter 5 in a similar way. James is saying, your primary concern that I'm addressing this letter to would be the people among you, the people that you know, that you are connected to. In a sense, we are connected to all brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. But there is, if we can just kind of look around the room and gather our arms together, there is an among you sense to being a part of the local church. One of the reasons in our membership class we tell people it's important that you connect to the local church is you need people who are able to look to you and say, hey, that person is among us. We have a level of care for them that we would not be able to have for our friends at First Mustang or First Moore. Do we love them? Do we care for them? Absolutely. Would we do anything for them? Absolutely, but they're not among us in the same way that we would look around this room and say, no, no, I really am connected to, to these people. And so we're connected to one another in a way that we're able to care for one another. And if you see me going off the path, you can speak to me more directly and, and, and well, let's just say more directly instead of using a harder word, but you can speak to me more directly than you would somebody at another church that maybe you don't know as well. You don't have that relationship with them. And so James is saying, my brothers, if anyone among you, don't be the moral police for the church down the road, these people that the Lord has placed among you, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, wonder here is, is kind of a, a, a dual word. It can mean in different contexts both oops, I accidentally went off the path. And it can also mean, oh no, I deliberately went the other way because I wanted to. Um, and isn't that the case in our own lives? Sometimes in life we get off track and we honestly didn't see it coming. You get in a bad place in life, you find yourself not living the way the Lord wants you to live, and you look back and say, you know what? I didn't intentionally, consciously want to get to this point. Now, did I neglect some things? Did I drift in this way? Did I become apathetic? Sure. You know, that probably happened. But I didn't set out to get this far off course. Other times, let's be honest, we did. 
we intentionally turned away from the path and we said, no, I'm, I'm going this other way. And there's, there's almost an element of pride. The word wonder is broad enough that it can be used in both ways. So sometimes we accidentally drift off the path. Sometimes we said, I'm running away from my parents as fast as I can. I'm going the other way, uh, whether they want me to or, or not. So it's, it's that idea. And then there's, in verse 19, it ends there, if anyone wonders from the truth, this idea of truth, not just doctrinally, but when Scripture speaks of truth, it means the true way to live, especially when James uses this word. Because remember, James is speaking in a wisdom style where truth is not just head knowledge, but true is this is the true path that leads to life. So anybody who wanders from the path of life and someone brings him back, this bring back idea is very similar to the concept of repentance. So someone helps the person wondering come to a point of repentance. You, you begin to drag them back. Um, sometimes when your little hiker friend has gone off the path and you grab hold of them, even if you grab hold of them, they don't much care to come back on the path. Like it's a fight about are you gonna are you gonna get back over here? And so this brain back is is a little bit of a persuade, trying to draw them back, saying, No, actually, this path is going to lead where you want to go. If you keep going that way, it's gonna get very dangerous and it's gonna lead to destruction. Go this way. And so you're trying to persuade the person and bring them back on the path. Okay, so let's look in verse 20. You get the idea. It's a Fairly straightforward concept that's, that's happening here. We're walking along this path. Verse 20 says, Let that person know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, here is where the controversy comes. Because you look in verse 20, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, so the person who gets somebody back on a path, will save his soul. Here's our grammar moment for the, uh, for the night. So you know the word antecedent. Antecedent is the word in a sentence that the pronoun points back to. All right, so everybody prepare yourself. Some of you have been at school teaching. Some of you have not been. So here, here you go, okay? Verse 20, let that person know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. Whose soul? The one who was wandering or the bringer backer? Well, it's probably the person wandering. That seems to be the most likely antecedent because you had another pronoun that was used from his wandering will save his soul from death. So it probably means you bring that person back on the path, you're going to save that person's soul from destruction, from, from death, if they continue to go away from the Lord, and will cover a multitude of sins. Whose sin? Well, again, probably the person who was wandering. Now, on your little note sheet there, Almost all the way down to the bottom, I, I listed 1 Timothy 4.16 in italics. So this is almost all the way down the bottom of that front, front side. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. 
Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There may be an element to this that when you are drawing someone back from the point of going away from the Lord, it has an impact not only on their life, but also on your life as well. So this idea of covering multiple sins or covering over a multitude of sins, it comes from the book of Proverbs. So turn back to Proverbs just for a minute. Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. So remember, we've already connected the book of James to the book of Proverbs. There, there's, those two books swim in the same water of, of divine wisdom literature. But when you see this phrase about covering over a multitude of sins, the background for that is in Proverbs chapter 10. Let's start in chapter 10, verse 10, and then we'll work up to the verse we're going to look at. So this is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 10. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. So you don't just wink your eye at trouble, and you don't just babble on like a fool. There, there's something to pay attention to. Instead, verse 11 the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence, covers up violence in a sense. So that gets you to verse 12. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. There's something about caring for another person loving another person that's able to provide a covering for that person's sins. Now, very carefully, you can see where that could go off uh, a theological sidetrack. By loving someone and trying to draw them back, we in and of ourselves cannot forgive another person. We can't pronounce forgiveness. It's not, we're not the ones who died for them. We're not the ones who are able to bring, bring forgiveness. But the way that wisdom writing works is saying that when you truly love someone, when we truly care for someone, we do not want to see them living in sin because we know that that leads to destruction. Instead, we want to take love for them and we want to cover them up and say, no, don't live that way, come back to the Lord. And in that way, love is able to, able to cover over a multitude of sins. It's able to draw that person back to a place of salvation. So here's what I want to do. I want to connect this to a couple of other passages. Matthew chapter 18 is where we want to go next. This connects in Matthew 18 in a really, really interesting way. There are two stories in Matthew 18 that if you've spent some time around church, I'm almost certain that you know these two stories, but what you may not know is that they show up back to back in the Gospel of Matthew. And it matters, I think, that, that these two stories are put together. So again, we're trying to think, what does it mean to love someone and to bring them back when they wander away? Look at these two stories in Matthew 18 and the, and the way they connect together. Okay, so Matthew chapter 18, verse, whoops, verse 10. Matthew 18, 10. 
See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 12, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, Truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. All right. It's not hard to see the connection there with what we've been talking about, uh, this idea of wandering away, someone who is vulnerable, who wanders away, and the importance of drawing that person back and the rejoicing that the Lord has when someone comes back when they've wandered away. Now look what happens next in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So here's the person going astray, and when they go astray, again, we said this before, you don't post about it on social media, you don't tell everybody, hey, look at that person, they can't find the path. Look at how bad they are at hiking. You, know, you don't say any of that. Like you, you go to them directly, individually, and, and speak about the situation. Verse 16, if that person does not listen, you take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, verse 17, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Here we have someone going astray, living in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, and we're called to go after that person, to go and, and confront them in a loving way and care for them. Now watch something at the end of verse 17. What if that person doesn't listen the third time? Let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Here's a moment to talk back to me. How, how does the New Testament say we're supposed to treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Give them the gospel. Love them. Care for them. Not ostracize them. So if someone doesn't respond a third time, you don't just completely say, oh, that person is gone. Instead, in a very real sense, you treat them as an unbeliever, which means you love them, you pray for them, you speak the gospel to them, you care for them, you invite, you know. So how we treat a person in that situation make, makes a big difference. So Matthew 18, you have a nice little parable about sheep wandering away. Jesus going after them, drawing them back, and then you have a story about what if that happens in your church? How do you care for that person? And Jesus lays that out. Galatians chapter 6 is another example. Let's look at one more example in the New Testament here. Galatians chapter 6. So, uh, let's see, starting in, uh, in verse 1, let's read the beginning part of Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. <laughs> so here's our little hiking friend going off the trail 
the imagery is not that you beat them back on the trail or you drag them back on the trail or you yell at them. That's what happens when you're hot and tired hiking with your kids and they go off the trail. Then you yell at them and you drag them back on the, you know, but that's not what we're called to do here. This is when someone's gone off the trail and you're supposed to restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. And that's an incredible, incredible statement there. But watch the end of verse 1. Galatians 6, 1, how's it end? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So here's someone struggling in their Christian life. They're struggling in sin. You reach out to help them. Scripture says be very careful because there's a good chance you're going to face temptation in that situation as well. Uh, There's a little illustration that we do with kids on this where you put a kid up in the chair and somebody's on the ground and you try to teach the kids, is it easier for somebody to pull you down or is it easier for you to pull them up? Well, every time it's easier to be pulled off the chair. It's easier to be pulled down. And so when you're seeking to care for someone, Galatians 6.1 says, keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted through the situation. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone, this is verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So watch the spirit of pride. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. So we bear one another's load. We, we care for that person. But at the end of the day, we also have to take personal responsibility. This is that idea of being able to draw boundaries and not finding yourself in codependent relationships and not finding yourself in situations where not only are you bearing the other person's burden, but now you feel responsible for all of their actions and behaviors and attitudes and words. And so there's a way that we care for others. We draw them back, but we also have to know how to draw boundaries as well and make sure it's a healthy relationship and not a relationship where we're being drawn aside by by whatever that person is facing or however they're acting. Okay, so those verses, Matthew chapter 18, Galatians chapter 6, the book of Proverbs, all of that forms the background for how the book of James ends. The book of James is this incredible picture of how the people are called to live. It's a very practical book. It's a book about wisdom, and it's written to people who are facing uh, difficulties and who are tempted to be apathetic and casual. And James says, don't live that way. And if you see someone living that way, go after them. Draw them back and, and save them from destruction. Okay, if you flip your paper over to the back, which you may have already done, what are the application points? Kind of what do we, what do we take out of this? First, I hope you take out of this the idea of a desire for personal holiness and also the humility to receive feedback, instruction, and correction from others. So first off, God, deal with my own sin. Let me deal with this huge log sticking out of my eye before I worry about the speck that's in somebody else's eye. Like, deal with what's in in, in my life. Deal with what's going on right here. Lord, start with me. Because you know, when you're talking about revival, where does revival snart, start? Not in all the other person's problems. It starts in our own life. <laughs> it starts in our own heart. God, renew me. Do something 
in my life. Because we know our tendencies. Like we can be so quick to see what's wrong in somebody else's life and so slow to see that in our own life. Or, hey, let me, let me point out something going on in your life, but God forbid that anybody should speak into my life or point out something that might be going on in my life. And so, you know, the idea that when someone says, hey, I want to talk to you about something, and they begin to speak to you about something going on in your life, your blood pressure goes up, your body temperature goes up, all these phrases about who are you to tell me what I should be doing, all, all of these tendencies start to come, come to the surface, and, and we get this sort of pride that, that comes in here. But at the core, if we understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we want people to speak into our life. We want to receive that. We desire to be holy, and we know that we need people around us uh, to, to be able to do that, that we're willing to receive feedback because feedback leads to self-awareness. Like, oh, yeah, you know what? I do need to be aware of that. And self-awareness leads to action, and all that happens because we have relationships of trust. We trust the people around us. And so what do we, where do we want to begin? We want to begin right there. God, do something in my life. What happens next? Number two, Prayer and working for the revival, the renewal, the bringing back of those who are wandering away. When you see someone around you and you see that person going away from the Lord, you see that person living in a way that you know does not honor the Lord, you see that person living in a way that you say, I can see where that path is leading, even though they're having trouble seeing where that path leads right now. Praying for them and being able to go to them, how? Directly, as someone who cares for them in a spirit of gentleness, but speaking the truth in love and being able to say, here's what I see. I want you to know I care for you. Let's talk about this. Let's look at God's word and see what it says about this. And we're able to have those type of relationships. And you're going and saying, I want you to experience all that God has for your life. And I think if you go down this path, that's not going to happen. And so you have what you develop is you develop an honest burden for that person. You're, you don't get anything out of this. If you get anything out of this, there's a chance that you may not have the friendship or the relationship. Like You're not in it for yourself. You're in it because you care for that other person so much. You're saying, I don't want to see you go that direction. And so you care for them in that way. And then when you begin to have that type of burden for somebody, it leads to number three. Then you have a prayer and an urgency for all of those who are separated from God. Not just for someone who's a Christian who's wandering away, but for anyone who you see their life leading to, to a place of destruction. They're separated from God. And so you have a desire to reach out. So the question is, what does that look like in our lives? And what does that look like in our church? How do we become those type of people? How does God do that work in, in our life? And it really does begin with prayer. I'd like to leave you something like fancier and, and, and some sort of better application, but that really is where it begins. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, do that work in my life. And then you're praying for people in your life that you know their life is not going in the right direction, but you're praying for them because you love them and care for them. And you're praying for people who don't know the Lord, but you want to see them come to a point of salvation. So I put the question on your paper there, this who's your one question that Southern Baptists are using a lot right now. Who do you know in your life that you can see that they are wandering from the Lord? They are going off the path. 
Maybe they don't see it at the time. Maybe they do. But, but God's given you a burden for them. He's given you a love for that person. And you see where they're going. And you say, no, I care for that person enough that I'm going to go to them and speak into their life. Who is that that God's put in your life? And then on top of that, who has God put in your life that doesn't know the Lord? But you know that strategically God has put you in their life. God has put you in that situation. And, and you're praying for them. You, you have a burden for them. You care for them. We're going to have a chance here in just a second to pray for those, uh, those people in that situation. But uh, before we do that, I wanted just to point out a couple of things there on the bottom of the back part of your sheet that might be interesting and helpful for this discussion. At the very bottom is our revival schedule for, for 2019 that's coming up in, in September. Now, we realize these are revival meetings. We can't cause revival. The Lord brings revival. He does that work, but, but we're having an opportunity to do this together in September, and so we want you to know about that opportunity coming up. But let me show you some of the survey results that came out of our survey in August, and I'll send out an email to the church in a couple of weeks with some, some of this information, but I want you to see a couple of preliminary data uh, results from this. Sunday morning attendance at Emmaus. 93% of the members who filled out the survey on August 11th said they attend worship three times per month. It jumps to 99% when you talk about once per month. Let me just jump to the chase and say that that number doesn't exist anywhere in the world when it comes to church life. Like that number is unheard of that people would attend church that regularly uh, in, in 2019. So that's astounding. It, it's unbelievable that's the result. It might have had something to do with the Sunday that this was taken, or people might have just checked it off because that was the first blank that was available. I don't know. Uh, but that's the data that came back. Wednesday night, we have about 44% of people who said they attend Wednesday night at least once per month. Uh, you can see the Bible reading numbers there, people that are engaging. Over three-fourths of our members say they engage with Scripture at least weekly. Households. Um, just over a third of households say that they read or pray together at home at least weekly, but 45% reported not doing that at all at home, so not even monthly, just, just not at all. And so that's a number we'd love to see be a little bit higher on people praying together and at home and praying together with your spouse and your kids about people you want to see come to know Christ in your neighborhood. Um, evangelism, almost 50% of our members are praying for someone's salvation. The next time in future years when we take this survey, I would love to see that number be 75%, 80%, 90%. I mean, that's a number you could get close to 100. You'd really want to see that number be close to, to 100 there. Almost one-fourth um, had a gospel conversation in the last three months. That's really good. That's, that's a good number. Again, we'd love to see that be half or, or higher, but that's a really good number. Let me point you to another uh, down there, Roman numeral number six, and we'll end up with this. Length of time as a Christian. So when you total it up, 90% of members at Emmaus say that they've been uh, a Christian longer than five years. 62% it's been more than 20 years that they've been uh, a follower of Jesus. Point D under Roman numeral 6, only 3% of our members have been a Christian less than, eight, less than five years and are also over the age of 18. If I have a burden for any number on this sheet, that's the one we want to see be higher. 
the fact that when you take the people that filled out the survey on August 11th, again, it's just the people that were there, but only 3% of our members, Christian less than five years and over the age of 18. What that means is, God, give us an urgency for people who don't know you. God, help us to know what it looks like to reach out to people who are far from you, and we want to see them come to faith in Christ. We are really good at church attendance, and, and we're really good at Bible reading and engaging in ministry, and we don't downplay that at all. That's a beautiful thing. But God, give us a burden for those who don't know you. Give us a burden for those who are separated from you, who are wandering from you. So let's pray for that right now, and we need to wrap up. We're, we're out of time. God, we want to be careful ending with uh, statistics like that because we could, we could leave feeling discouraged or, or guilty in a way that was not the intention tonight. God, more than anything, I pray that we would leave with a burden for people around us. The Christian life is not just an individual pursuit. It's a family of God. We're in this together. We care for one another. We want to see one another grow in, in spiritual health. God, I pray that if we know people who are wandering away from you, who are struggling with their faith, who are uncertain about decisions, God, let us know how to gently and lovingly speak to them about the truth. And God, that has to begin in our own hearts. We need to be able to receive that from others. God, we need you to search our hearts. God, we know that holiness drives us to be on mission. God, I pray that Emmaus would be a place where people would come to know you. God, that we would see people come to salvation. We would see people reconnected with church after a long time away. God, that we would develop relationships of trust and love where we're able to speak to one another. We're able to encourage and challenge one another. And God, through all of that, that you would receive glory. That we would live lives worthy of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for being here tonight. Appreciate you. Love you. See you on Sunday.